Hello, and welcome to Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from a church past. I'm your host, Laura. Join me today as we explore a piece of Kansas City's history. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Happy Easter, happy Passover, and a continued Ramadan Mubarak. Ukraine, we continue to stand with you, but remember, folks, to be nice to the Russians in your communities. Unless you hear them voice their support for Putin, then you may shun them. But I think most of the Russian expats do not support him. So be nice to them. Thank you for joining me today. This is episode two, The Long Journey, of series five, People of the Island, which is what the Wyandots call themselves. It's what their name for themselves means in their language. Please make sure you listen to topic one of this series, The Evil Isms. Topic one explores how imperialism and colonialism shaped Western European and American interactions with native and indigenous populations. Spoiler alert, it's not been great. I want to note that uh, according to the Wyandotte Nation's official website, their traditional tribal name for themselves is the Wendat or the Wandat, and Wyandotte is the English version of that, but I'm going to stick with Wyandotte because that's what they go by today. And if you search for it, there are multiple spellings. Um, we'll get into the reason for that later. I also want to make clear that these episodes should in no way be considered a definitive history of these people. I am not an authority on Wyandotte history. They are their own authority. But I was honored and privileged to uh, offer them the microphone so they could tell their own story. Uh, I spoke with Second Chief Louis Libby of the Wyandotte Nation of Kansas. That conversation is currently only available to my patrons, but it will be available to everyone in June. Um, that said, I did still feel that I could contribute to the conversation by telling the story in my own way. There's also a content warning for this series. I won't get graphic, but I will discuss slavery, genocide, and some tangential subjects, which may be difficult for some, particularly um, in this episode and the last, particularly in the last episode. Please note that there also may be some mild swearing. Thank you. So in episode one, I discussed what I identified as the evilisms. That's imperialism, colonialism, also manifest destiny, which is not an ism, but it really ought to be. And I gave some examples of the morally and ethnically, or sorry, ethically repugnant American practices and interactions with indigenous populations, such as boarding schools. Today, we're going to start to talk about the Wyandots themselves. First, of course, there's always a but first, um, I want to tell you about history versus prehistory. So when you study history, there's something called prehistory. It's a term used by historians, anthropologists, archaeologists, etc. And what it really means is pre-writing, but it has a lot of negative connotations um, because it's sort of implying that, hey, Prehistory 
means that, you know, it's, it's before history. So it's before you existed or anything, something like that. Um, so pre-contact is what a lot of people are starting to call it. And I love this term. I'm going to try to use that more in the future. And so pre-contact, um, hoping it's pretty obvious, it's pre-European contact versus prehistory saying, you know, you didn't exist until we found you. None of that. So pre-contact, just keep that in mind. Okay. So the Wyandotte Nation originally lived in Canada. So this is yet another story in which we get to go outside of Kansas City. Very cool. And of course they lived there for thousands of years before the Europeans came. However, I am starting my history a little after the first contact with Europeans because I think that the Wyandotte nations, um, and you'll hear this a bit when we talk to Chief Luby, um, they're a better choice to tell that part of their story of pre-contact. Um, but the other reason why I'm starting with contact is because it's continued contact with Europeans and settlers, which leads them to move from Kansas, uh, from Canada to Kansas. So their first contact with Europeans was with the French explorer Jacques Cartier, or Jacques, I think it's actually Jacques Cartier. Again, remember, I've never studied French, so I'm going to butcher those names. Um, and who, guess what he was doing? He was trying to sail to Asia, but he landed in Canada. Uh, he sailed up the St. Lawrence River, um, which likely he or one of his Frenchmen named that river St. Lawrence. And met the Huron, which is what the French called them. It's not what they called themselves. Um, at what is now Quebec. And that was in 1535. Then, you know, for the next couple of centuries, as I explained in the previous topic, there's more and more Europeans coming to North America. As they settle on the eastern shores, the ones who are there already move west. And they're pushing First Nations west into the territories of other nations. And... We just get more and more conflict out of that. And the Wyandots were actually not a single tribe. They were a confederacy of multiple different tribes. Quote, the Wyandot nation consists of remnants of the, and I'm going to apologize in advance for this, Tionontati Atignatwanton and the Wenro, all unique independent tribes who united in 1649 or 1650 after being defeated by the Iroquois Confederacy, end quote. They were an Iroquois-speaking people, people, excuse me, um, so they were a part of the greater Iroquois Confederacy, which was made up of many, many tribes. Um, in America, you know, Confederacy, we automatically think American Civil War, Confederacy bad, which they were pro-slavery, that's bad. Um, but Confederacy is actually more like a league, right? Like, hey, come partner with me, you know, we'll still um, govern ourselves, but we'll have this pact and we can work together, um, you know, grow the economy and we'll defend each other. And so it's a league, right? Think League of Nations, maybe. But even though we have this Iroquois League, because there's so many different tribes and they're only loosely connected, there's a lot of infighting. 
In the early 1600s, it's estimated that the Wyandotte Nation totaled 30 to 40,000 people. And one of my sources said they had as many as 70,000 tribal members pre-contact, but that they lost as many as 10,000 family members in less than 50 years due to measles, uh, measles, tuberculosis, influenza, and smallpox, which they only contacted because of their interactions with European settlers. Some uh, made treaties with French settlers. Um, That's some members of the Iroquois League. But some other members of the League allied themselves with the Dutch and the English. And that just exasperates the infighting amongst themselves. In 1649, some of the Iroquois, they swept in and they burned villages and killed hundreds of people. Um, And that was against... Uh, specifically the wine dots within the Iroquois League. Um, so after that, the Iroquois, sp- sorry, the wine dots split. They're like, no, it's no longer safe. We don't have a choice. We got to go. And actually, you know, after doing all of this reading and researching and speaking with Chief Louis Ilby, their like continued displacement and then the wider displacement of all. First Nations in U.S. and Canada, it's really putting me in mind of several different uh, humanitarian crises that, that we've seen created by the displacement of other populations around the world today. Just something to think about. Anyways, that's uh, getting way off topic. So, some of the Wyandots moved from Quebec, from Ontario to Quebec. And Ontario is actually further west than Quebec. Hang on. Now i got to go back and look through my notes. Sorry, one second. Okay, I think I have that right. So they're living in Ontario. They split. Some stay. Some move to Quebec. Ontario is further west than Quebec. But the French are in Quebec. You know, I think I must have meant further east. Quebec is east of Ontario. So I was like, why are they moving towards the settlers? There we go. Now I've got it. I have West in my notes. Um, But the French are in Quebec, and those are their allies. So that's why they're like, let's move there. Some of them, um, actually, sorry, they didn't stay. They moved to uh, Mackinac Island, which is in Lake Michigan. And those who moved to Mackinac, they only stayed there for a year or so, and then they moved on to Green Bay in 1651. Oh, no, sorry, my notes then say, and then some stayed in Ontario. So we split in three there. All right, here we go. Um, Those who had stayed then moved down to Upper Sandusky um, in Ohio, and that also happened in 1651. I apologize. I'm sure that was very confusing for y'all. It's a little bit confusing for me, and I've been reading about this for weeks. So, the same source also said that the Xi'an in Green Bay moved to Lake Superior, which was actually in Lakota Territory a few years later. Then, in 1701, Anton de la Motte uh, Cadillac, sorry, took me a minute there, which is definitely the English pronunciation of that word, uh, he's a French explorer, and I guess he must have been good friends with the Wyandots in Lake Superior because he's like, yo, I'm going to go south. 
and I'm gonna build this new fort called Detroit. Come with me. They're like, yeah, that sounds really good. Let's let's do that. So then they all move across the border. Of course, there's no American-Canadian border then, but they move across the border and they set around what is now Detroit, Michigan. Uh, according to a couple of my other sources, this is about the same time. Um, they don't say when specifically, so it's either just before, during, or just after they moved to Detroit that they merged with at least one other tribe. The Wyandotte Nation also points out that um, it wasn't long after this, 1730s, 1740s, that the spelling of the name changed from Wyandotte to Wyandotte due to excessive contact with British colonists. Those who moved to Ohio in the 1650s, they've got a lot of land, they feel safe and happy, and they're just living their best lives, but there's still a lot of war going around them. Try that again. There's still a lot of war all around them. And there's still a lot of settlers coming, so we're not quite safe yet, as we're about to see. Quote, A 1785 treaty with the United States set the tribe's territorial boundaries to include much of present Ohio and part of Indiana. End quote. But then we have the Treaty of Greenville ten years later, which leads to a reduction of their land. In 1816, John Stewart came as a missionary to the Wyandots. He's not the first to do so, but I guess he was the most successful because he converted a lot of the tribe to Christianity, uh, and he's noted in a lot of the histories. The first missionaries were the Jesuits. Stuart was a Methodist, and he's also a free black man, which might be part of the notoriety here. He established the Methodist Episcopal Church on the reservation in Ohio. So... Then we have the Fort Meigs Treaty of 1817. Quote, The Fort Meigs Treaty of 1817 marked the loss of most of the Wyandotte domain in Ohio and Michigan. A 12-square-mile tract was designed, sorry, designated the Wyandotte Reserve at Upper Sandusky. Another one-square-mile section was included along nearby, nearby Broken Sword Creek. Tracks were added to the reserve in 1818, and acreage was given to the Wyandotte along the Huron River in Michigan. Quote. At that time, there were only 700 tribal members left. And then in 1830, we have the Indian Removal Act, which I mentioned in the previous episode. Thinking back, I might have simplified the Indian Removal Act a bit too much. So the goal was to push all tribes west of the Mississippi, but particularly they wanted to remove these five big tribes from the southeast part of the country. Those tribes were the Seminole, the Choctaw, the Cherokee, the Chickasaw, and the Creek. And they were known as the five civilized tribes. Actually, they're still known as the five civilized tribes. According to Britannica Encyclopedia, they were so named because they had adopted so many white customs and practices that they were considered, quote, civilized, as opposed to everyone else who was still, quote, savages. Anyway, this act culminated in the Trail of Tears, which is how I think most people know of the act. The five tribes were rounded up at gunpoint and force marched across the country in the dead of winter and thousands died. Native Americans, I think rightly, referred to it as a death march. But even though those five tribes were the focus, the act enabled the U.S. government to push several other tribes west of the Mississippi as well. 
The removal of tribes from the lands around the Great Lakes, including the Wyandots, is sometimes known as the Other Trail. So the Wyandots and Sandusky resisted the order for 13 years, and they were the last tribe to leave Ohio. But I also want to make clear that some tribes, or at least some parts of various tribes, did remain in their lands. There are very few reservations on the eastern coast today, but the vast majority are in the western half of the U.S. And that will have to be the end of today's episode. My notes got really long, and this is actually the best breaking point. Thank you for joining me today as we began exploring the history of the Wyandotte Nation. Make sure you listen to the next episode, which will be The Long Journey Part 2, and it will tell of how they came to Kansas and what happened to them when they are in Kansas. For sources, I have so many sources for these episodes. I went to the Kansas Room Special Collections at the Kansas City, Kansas Public Library and did some research. They also have some stuff on the Wyandotte Nation that can be accessed online if you're interested. They hosted a discussion between, quote, adopted Wyandotte Nation of Kansas archivist John Nichols and Kansas Studies Institute director Ty Edwards, end quote, on Wyandotte history called Wyandotte in Kansas, the past as prologue to redlining. And that was in November of 2021. There was a recording on YouTube that I watched, so I will have a link to that on my website. The Wyandotte Nation of Kansas, the Wyandotte Nation of Oklahoma, and the Wyandotte Nation of Anderdon. No, sorry, um, I think it's actually the Wyandotte of Anderdon Nation. Maybe, I'm getting the words confused. Um, They all have websites. They're all amazing, so I will have links to all of those on my website. Please make sure to check out those websites. Really do. Um, I finally, after much searching, found the Canadian Nations website, but it's in French, naturally. I guess I'll still have a link to that. I attended a talk by Chief Louis Libby in February, hosted by Grinter Place, which is a historic house on the National Register. It's managed by the Kansas State Historical Society. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, I had the great pleasure of speaking with her again a few weeks ago and recording an episode with her. I also did some research at the Missouri Valley Special Collections at the Kansas City Public Library. And they have a superb webpage dedicated to Quindera, which I will include in my website. Hey, have you heard the news? I'm going to be at the First City History Festival. Yay! It's going to be in Leavenworth. Kansas on Saturday, April 30th. All the museums in the area are going to have booths. I'm going to have a booth. Pretty excited. Um, There's going to be vendors, food trucks, music contests, etc. It's going to be a lot of fun. Come on down, stop on by, say hi. I hope you'll consider becoming a financial supporter of the show. There are several ways you can do so. You can subscribe to patreon.com slash homegrownkc or redcircle.com slash homegrownkc. Or you can give a one-time donation at redcircle.com slash homegrownkc or at ko-fi.com slash homegrownkc. That's ko-fi.com slash homegrownkc. You can give as little or as much as you want, even as little as a dollar. If you become a subscriber, you'll be charged on the first of every month. You will get an item from the merchandise store valued at $5 or less, a shout-out on each show and social media post, Thank you, Bjorn, Joan, and Gina for your continued support. 
and you will receive access to exclusive bonus content featuring local historians, archivists, and museum experts. And you'll receive early access to my conversation with Chief Libby. But that's just one example. Um, if you want to check out some other stuff to, you know, find out what I, it's, let me try that again. Listen to Redlined KC. That is a Patreon episode that's available to everyone currently. That'll give you an idea of what else I offer. There we go. If you simply donate, you'll only get a shout out on the next episode. You're not going to get access to the extra episodes or anything from the store. But if you donate on Ko-fi, 1% will automatically go to fight climate change. And the way that I'm trying to organize this is if you donate or subscribe on Patreon or Red Circle, that money is going into an account which I draw from in order to pay for like access to museums and parking tickets at the library and gas, etc. But if you donate on Ko-fi, I really want to set that aside so that I can go to a uh, conference in 2023. Either a history conference or a podcast conference. A podcast conference would be really cool. Then I could learn some more tips and tricks and try to improve my show for y'all. So as I said, the accompanying um, patron episode for this series is the talk with Chief Libby. That will be available June 1st. There's going to be a clip of that conversation at the very, very end of this episode. Um, I promised to include the clip on the end of the last episode and forgot, so I'm going to go back and add that on. If you can't support me monetarily, which is totally cool, I get it, you can still support me by following and subscribing to my Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube channel. I'm Homegrown KC on all of them. And make sure you rate and review me on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook. You can also check me out on Audia. It's a new audio-based platform I'm partnering with, which features multiple kinds of audio-based content. You can visit my website for additional information. That's homegrownkc.wordpress.com, and you can sign up for my newsletter there as well. I'm not going to send you an email every day. Don't worry about that. But um, once a month, you'll get an email that says, here's what's going on with the show. Uh, the website is still under construction, but it's coming along. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or episode suggestions, you can email me at homegrownkcpodcast at gmail.com or DM me on one of the social media networks. Be happy to talk to you. Check out the merchandise store for some cool swag. That's zazzle, Z-A-Z-Z-L-E dot com slash, slash store slash homegrown underscore KC underscore store. Thank you goes out to my very talented sister-in-law, Sarah McCombs, for the creation of my logo. To the Dear Misses for the use of their song, Kansas City, as the intro and outro music of the show. And to local libraries, which enable me to gather all my research. And thank you to you, listeners. Thank you for listening. Cheers!
can't seem to shake this feeling And I can't seem to get you off my mind Okay. And then went. after the Sorry. war, just nobody came back. Um, there were some people there that stayed. 
um, like I said, there were, um, I don't know if it was 14, 17 families that, that stayed and still at, to this day, there's, oh, I think maybe five families that are still there, um, the generations. Um, Anthony Hope, who I mentioned, he's fifth generation um, freed slave, and they're still there. Their family is. And one interesting um, fact, when they would come across the river, they were afraid to because um, their masters and everyone said, don't go over there because there's Indians and they're savages and they'll kill you and all these horrible things. Well, Anthony's um, brother, Jesse, um, he would tell us that um, the Wyandotte greeted them and said that we, they were people of the earth, just like us. And then they would take them in and then we would, we would hide them from those that were coming and then help them also along with, with other people in the town to get them on their way on the underground railroad, which is a big sense of, of pride um, for us as, as Wyandots, but just as people that we were part of some history that was so, so important um, at the time. Well, so that um, kind of is related to my other question is, do you know, and if you don't, it's totally fine. I don't expect you to know every question I answer, um, question I ask, but do you know if um, there were any raids conducted in the Quindera area because they were housing runaway slaves? Um, I, I don't know of like a formal raid into the town. Um, what I've heard is that the um, just the the slave masters would would send out people that were looking that, that the slave masters would would send people out to to find them. And from the stories and things that we've told, all the people that come through um, seeking freedom, only one person was ever caught. Oh, okay, taken back. So some could go on um, the railroad up into Lawrence, but a lot of people we could get out and they could go up north through um, 